Okay, thank you, Richard. Uh, again, my name is Jack Neal, and let's start by bow with me, and let me start with a word of prayer. Lord, my prayer this morning is, as the psalmist said, your word is perfect, your word is right, it is more desirable than gold, it is sweeter than honey, and in keeping it, there is great reward. Uh, may this message glorify you and magnify your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me, uh, let me tell you just a little bit about myself before I get going here. Uh, I first came to believe in Jesus uh, when I was 20 years old. I had, I had pretty much finished two years of college. Uh, that was party college. Uh, I wasn't focused on it very much. Uh, I was more interested in having fun. But uh, when, when Christ got a hold of me, uh, He... He washed me, and the Holy Spirit regenerated me, and I basically started college over, spent the next four years at Oklahoma State University getting my mechanical engineering degree, and, um, you know, I recall every semester I would have three-ring binders of all my classes on my, my shelf next to where I was studying, and typically there were three or four of those three-ring binders for thermodynamics and whatnot. But right next to each one of those, I had a three-ring binder for the Word of God because uh, in my early years, I was very serious about studying it. And I credit that to the Navigator ministry where we, we memorized dozens of verses and we would repeat those over and over. And, uh, and I have many of those verses written on my heart because of that. Um, it, like I said, it was 1980, and the, the popular editions of our translations were, I think King James was probably still popular. The New American Standard 1977 edition was, was very popular. That's the one I chose to memorize my verses in. I think Revised Standard Version was popular. The NIV was brand new, so it wasn't really the one that, um, that students were choosing at the time. And the ESV didn't even exist, okay? So, so anyway, New American Standard, 1977, and, and uh, that's, the, that's the version that many of these memory verses are written on my heart. Like um, the one when I met Kelly, Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God. <laughs> ah, Lord God, behold. You have to say it with a long ah. Okay, ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power and by Thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. I think that verse has Thee, Thine, Thou, has all of the old King James words in it. And that's what, New, that's what the older New American Standard versions did. They, they still had those. And there's a majestic ring to that, you know. Ah, Lord God, behold. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Okay, another, another uh, verse, uh, I, I call these my ah and my oh verses. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. That's Romans eleven thirty three. 
Oh, the depth of the riches. Ah, Lord God, behold. Okay, well, the, the verse that we're going to camp on today here is Numbers 23, 19. So open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, and you can look at that verse, or you can just listen to me. Numbers 23, 19. Okay, this, this fits right there with those ahs and the ohs, but this verse is really a question. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Some of your newer translations will say, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. And that really is what repent is, right? We know from the gospel we have to repent of our sins, which means we turn away. We do a 180, okay? So God doesn't change His mind. What God said in the Old Testament, uh, He didn't change His mind in the New Testament. He didn't, he didn't repent of what He said ever, okay? God is not a man that He should lie or a son of man that He should repent or change His mind. Has He said and will He not do it? That's a question. We're going to examine that question at length. Or has He spoken and will he not make it good? Speaking of questions, <clears throat> like I said, I'm an engineer, and I've spent 30-plus years in engineering answering questions. That's what our clients want. Uh, they, they ask a question about how things work, and they want to know the answer. Uh, and that's what I'm used to doing. So when I see a question in the Bible, I want, I want an answer. God is not a man that he should lie. What's the answer? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer, right? It's an implied answer. It's an obvious answer. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? That's the question. He, the answer is yes, he will do everything that he has said. And I'll go to show you some of that here in a minute. But as far as questions, it's like this. Uh, as from an engineering perspective, what's the best face velocity to use on an air-to-air -air energy recovery wheel with a 30 angstrom molecular sieve? I know the answer to that. My problem is I expect my younger engineers that I train to know those also. But that's another topic. So consider these questions that Paul asks in a, a very short section in Romans chapter 8. You, you'll probably recognize many of these verses, and, and Paul is very good about asking those rhetorical questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is obvious, right? It's kind of like all these football games yesterday. If God is on my side, or if He's on my team, we're going to win. No one's going to defeat God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Ephesians makes it clear that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. How will He not also with Christ 
give us all things since He sacrificed His Son for us. Another question Paul asks, who will bring a charge against God's elect? If God has elected me and said, Jack, you're saved, who can condemn me and say, Jack, you're not saved? When the creator of this earth has already made that decision and spoken it, has he said it and will he not do it? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? It's another one of Paul's questions in Romans. The answer is, of course, no one. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, will distress, will persecution, will famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The answer is obvious. No, none of those things can separate us Paul goes on to say, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Questions. Has he said and will he not do it? So, as we did in Navigators, we just we chewed on these verses. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God is not a man, right? We know that. All believers know that God is a spirit. John said, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But I think we need to be reminded that God doesn't think like a man. We know He's not a man, but we tend to think that God thinks like us, right? And we can't understand when He has said something different that we, we don't agree with. But remember what Isaiah said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. <clears throat> As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Or in Psalm 50. God said, you thought I was altogether like you. Or I think ESV says, you thought I was exactly like you. God is not exactly like us. He doesn't think like us. So just a reminder that we, God is not a man. We know that. But He doesn't think like a man either. That He should lie or change His mind. Those two questions at the end of that verse. Has he said and will he not do it? That's question number one. And the second one is just like it. Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So two questions there that basically say the same thing. Has he said and will he not do it? Can we trust God's word when he says something? And that's basically the message today is if God said it, even though I may not understand it, or even though I may not see the answer, I can trust that He will answer it and He will do what He said. Okay, let me give you some examples. These are Old Testament predictions about Christ where God said it and, he will, and we know that He did it because we know 
what the New Testament and what the Gospels say about Jesus. Malachi told us that there would be a forerunner to prepare the way for the Lord. And we know who that forerunner was, right? That was John the Baptist. Isaiah said, the virgin will come and give birth to a son. And we know that Mary was the virgin that gave birth to Jesus. Isaiah also said that we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We know that God has given us the Holy Spirit um, and that the Holy Spirit lives in us. The, The other verse that comes to mind regarding Emmanuel, God with us, is if you recall, John said, quoting Jesus, my Father and I will make our home in you. And we know as believers that He is with us and He has made His home in our hearts. Hosea said that Joseph and Mary would move to Egypt and that God would call His Son out of Egypt. We know that from the gospel stories. We know that from Luke. Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah, told us that Christ would come out of Bethlehem. God said it, and He did it. Zechariah said that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Again, he said it in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. Daniel 9 speaks of the crucifixion when he said the Messiah will be cut off. More proof. Psalm 22 says, they pierced my hands and my feet. And we know that from the vision, the picture that we have of the cross when Jesus was hanging on the cross. <clears throat> Isaiah again says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we know from the gospel That's the heart of the gospel. My sin was laid on Jesus on the cross. He paid the penalty for my sin. And that's just one more of the many Old Testament prophecies where God said it. And we know He did it. Finally, Psalm 16 speaks of the resurrection And this is David prophesying that said, The Holy One will not be abandoned to the grave, nor will His body see decay. And there again is one of the great uh, doctrines of our faith is that Christ was resurrected and His body did not see decay. He was not abandoned to the grave. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. You might say, well, Jack, didn't God change his mind about the earth and about man during the flood? Because God created man on the earth. The, The earth was fully populated, but God destroyed the entire earth except for Noah and his family, and he started over, right? 
Was that a changing of his mind? <clears throat> Let me read a verse from Genesis 6. <clears throat> the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. God didn't change his mind and bring the flood. He, was, he saw the sin which was rampant on the earth, and he brought his righteous judgment on mankind. That was not a changing of his mind. You might say, okay, how about the story of Saul, King Saul, and God rejected King Saul and put King David in his place, right? It says in the book of Samuel twice that God regretted that he put Saul as king. So God regrets, but he doesn't lie, and he doesn't change his mind. Again, it had to do with Saul's sin. Now listen to the story. God put Saul as king over Israel, and he told Saul to utterly destroy all of the Amalekites, destroy men and women, destroy children and animals, destroy everything in the country. What Saul did was... He kept the king as hostage, he kept some of the animals, and he kept some of the women. And through the prophet Samuel, God, this is what God said to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Okay? Utterly destroy everything in the country. Saul destroyed a whole bunch of things, but he kept a little bit. And because he kept a little bit, it's just a small part, right? Just the king and just some animals and the women. God said, you have rejected my word. Therefore, I'm rejecting you as king. I think the implication is you've rejected just a part of my word, which is a great sin. Let's take it to a personal level. Personal promises. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Psalm 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So, he said, whatever you do will prosper right? He said, your leaf will be green. You're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water, and whatever you do prospers. That's, that's a personal promise, is it not? 
It's for those who meditate on His Word day and night. And I think many of us have proven that, right? We have proven that through our life as believers in Christ and those who feed on God's Word, we know that His, you know, we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we've proven that we have prospered because we're being obedient to God's Word. Okay, how about this for a personal promise? Can you count on this? Has He said it? And will he not do it? Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Okay? He, he cares for you. He said, cast all your anxieties for he cares for you. We know that. We have, we have done that as believers in the past. Um. Another one, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The promise is He will confirm, restore, strengthen, and establish you. Has He said that? Will He not do that? The issue is this verse is about suffering. So in the midst of suffering... I got to get my mind right. <laughs> I got to say, God will, God will get me out of this suffering and He will confirm, strengthen, and establish me. Or one of my old favorite navigator, uh, navigator verses that we memorized, uh, Philippians 4. And many of you know this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything with supplication, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, well, I have to tell you, three days ago, it was Thursday, and I'm preparing this sermon, and I'm meditating on this verse, and I get that phone call, and I get that email from work, your systems are not working. And for an engineer who spent his whole life designing multi-million dollar mechanical systems, Kelly knows this, when I get those phone calls or emails that appear like errors and omissions, I'm like a single-engine pilot whose plane just failed, and I'm in a tailspin getting ready to crash, okay? It, it rocks my world. It's, it's the most stress I can have, and I, I feel it in my gut. And here I am being anxious about it, trying to, trying to say, I'm getting ready to tell these people to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that twice I left out the word with thanksgiving. 
And I'm like, <clears throat> God, how can I be thankful when my plane's about to crash? But out of obedience, I'm like, okay. I'm thankful for many things. And at first I was thankful for those things that were non-engineering related. <laughs> then I thought, well, I've got to be thankful in the midst of this thing that's about to burn me up. And so I started thanking God for the career I've had. I've started thanking Him for, uh, you know, many of the positive aspects of my job that uh, many clients have some respect for me. And uh, it's been a very good career. And then, then I started asking very specifically, believe it or not, that the, the water softener would have the capacity and that the blowdown tank would be figured out. And, and you know what? After, after all that, in the thankfulness, I started to feel a little bit of peace. So, with thankfulness. Uh, some more personal promises. Isaiah said, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Because he trusts in you. Or do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He said it. He will do it. I can stand on his promises because he's been true in so many other Old Testament prophecies and so many other things that he wrote in the Bible. Therefore, even though I may not see it, I can stand on the truth that he will do it. How about your doctrine? Let's apply this to one area of doctrine real quick. Um, he saved us. This is Titus 3.5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. That verse says, you have the Holy Spirit poured out on you richly because of Christ. As soon as you accept Christ, you have the Holy Spirit poured out on you richly. Has He said it? And will He not do it? That really is a doctrinal issue you've got to come to terms with. Uh, let me wrap up with this one thought. So, when we look at the Word of God, we, we really need to take it in context. And I said turn to the book of Numbers, and I really haven't, I haven't had you look at Numbers yet, but I, I want you to back up a page and go to Numbers chapter 22. And I'm going to give you some background and tell you the story that led to this verse. Okay? Chapter 22, this is the story of Balaam, and most of us would immediately recognize Balaam is the guy who was spoken to by the donkey, right? That was the miraculous event around this story was God opposed Balaam 
opened the donkey's mouth and made him speak. But backing up even before the donkey, here's the scene. You have the king of Moab who comes to Balaam, the prophet for hire, and he says, I want you to come curse the Israelites for me. Balaam says, okay, let me go meet with God, and I'll tell you what he says. And look at verse 12, 22, 12. Numbers 22, 12. And God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Okay? Three things. Don't go with them. Don't curse them. They are blessed. Seems pretty simple, right? So, verse 13. So, Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Wait a minute. I thought God told him three things. What did Balaam tell Balak? He told him one thing and kind of twisted it. God has refused to let me go. When you study about Balaam, there's a lot more about him in the end of Numbers. Peter points out a lot of things about how he's a false prophet. Revelation, the, church, the letter to the church at Pergamum, mentions him as an example not to follow. Uh, and it's basically this. Balaam heard three things from God on the first time he went to meet him. God gave him very simply three things to say. Balaam left two of them out. It's just like me leaving out with thanksgiving out of that verse. It's like Saul leaving out the capturing the king and taking some of the animals which he said he was going to sacrifice to God, which probably was a lie. They're leaving out pieces and parts of God's Word. And it, it can really change the meaning, and it offends our holy God when, when you leave something out. You know, Joel said earlier, every jot and every tittle, which means every, the dot of every I and the cross of every T will be fulfilled. And, and I think God wants us to know His Word, and He wants us to take every phrase of His Word and not leave anything out. And I, and I, I believe with these examples, it's evil in God's sight if you leave out parts of His Word. So, my message is don't truncate God's Word. Let me conclude by, by reading uh, the first piece of an old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. And think about these words, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word, what more, can he say that, what more can He say than to you He hath said? 
to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Thank you.